if God has a goal and intention in any and all of our vocational spaces, it's that we become people that look like God and can love like God and can care like God and can make like God. At some point, I think God says, what do you want to do? I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to decide for you. I'm not going to say there's this one path and you have to go find it. I'm going to say you are who I've made you to be. So what do you want to make in the world? You are listening to the Christian Music Archive podcast, part of the new release today podcast network. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. Each week, I share stories about Christ, community, and music, chatting with musical guests who you will find listed on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. There are thousands of creative men and women who have helped shape the soundtrack of the Christian faith, and we get to hear their stories, learn about how Christ has made a difference in their life, and hopefully along the way, we'll learn how we can be a better part of our community. Welcome to the podcast this week, my friend. I'm editing today's episode on Thanksgiving Day. Now, now, don't worry, I'm not missing the family dinner time. We're having our family gathering tomorrow, and I'm looking forward to that. But editing today has caused me to reflect on a number of things that I'm thankful for. I'm thankful that you join me each week for these conversations. I'm thankful for the people who have made the music that has encouraged me and is a part of the fabric of my life. I'm also thankful for the things that I learn while I'm talking to these guests each week. Today's conversation is another one of those rich exchanges that encouraged me. I got to sit down with Justin McRoberts, and we, of course, talked about his life in music, but we also talked about the challenges we've all faced recently around the concept of trust. There's been a lot of hurt in our world recently, and that has resulted in broken relationships and broken trust. Justin provides some great thoughts on learning how to trust each other, learning who to trust, and learning to recognize that God is a trustworthy companion. Well, we'll get to our interview in just a minute, but I wanted to introduce you to Doug Hoffman. Doug is the executive director of Mercy, Inc. Doug, it would be really cool if you could just tell us a little bit about what is Mercy, Inc., and what do you do? Mercy, Inc. is a humanitarian 501c3 organization. We do humanitarian work around the world. We like to describe ourselves as being the hands and feet of Jesus to those that are disadvantaged, those who don't have what we have. And that might be food, that might be health, that might be spiritual. We reach out to them through compassion work, through helping hands bring them to Christ. I mean, that's our ultimate goal around the world. So if you think about it, what did Jesus do when he was on this earth? Jesus reached out to them. He was always healing, he was feeding, he was nurturing, he was helping emotionally. And that's what our model for, for mercy is, to be like Jesus. Always think about what would Jesus do if he was in that situation. Thanks, Doug. To learn more about the work of Mercy, Inc., head over to our website, christianmusicarchive.com mercy. That's christianmusicarchive.com mercy. Well, our guest today is quite the Renaissance man. He is an author of several books, a speaker and a coach, helping artists and pastors do what they do better. He's the host of the popular At Sea podcast, and he's also recorded more than 15 albums and EPs. And today, we get to hear the heart of Justin McRoberts. So welcome to the podcast, Justin. 
Happy to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Very cool to have you. Well, you know, we just listed off this big, long litany of the stuff that you do, and I think, my goodness, you've got several careers in that statement. <laughs> so <laughs> when you're chatting with a group of people for the first time, like maybe on this podcast, how do you introduce sure. yourself? <laughs> uh, I'm an artist, I think is the, I mean, the, the Seth Godin would suggest that, or does suggest that art is anything you create that forges a connection between people. And so whether that's the podcast or music or stories from stage um, or even coaching, what I'm, what I'm doing is I'm helping to forge connections, sometimes between people and their audience, sometimes between people in a, in a congregation, sometimes mm -hmm. between people and their loved ones, and sometimes okay. between people and the divine and between people and themselves. Right. I'm always in some way, shape or form, trying to create some sort of a connection between someone and those they want to connect with. So in all of the things that I do, the term artist works for me. Well, um, listeners, this is an audio version only, but I'm, uh, we've got video connection here and I see on the, the file cabinet behind you, you've got this big bumper sticker that says create anyway. And I, I yeah, kind of love that philosophy. Yes, exactly. Regard regardless of all things, keep making. Well, we're talking to you because, you know, we're a website about Christian music. And so I, I wouldn't mind if we started a little bit. And then I, I kind of know your story. I just, I just heard your okay. interview with somebody else. But I, I love the story of how you kind of started in Christian music and started, got your first record contract. And if you wouldn't yes. mind, I'd love to hear, have you share that with our listeners. Absolutely. I mean, this is, so this is actually, it's a story I, I, I finally put down in, a, in a, my most recent book, which is called It Is What You Make Of It. And uh, the, the way the story goes is that I was living with a gentleman named Frank Tate, who ran Five Minute Walk Records at the time. And um, I was there I, I was there with several single guys okay. uh, living in Frank's place. None of us could pay actual rent uh, <laughs> in better places. And so we were all living in Frank's place. And Frank asked me uh, if I had considered playing music for a living, which I had not. Uh, my plan was to do... Uh, youth ministry work with the local church and to teach that was the that was the plan that and mostly if, if i'm entirely honest because it was practical it made mm -hmm. a lot of sense mm -hmm. uh, and it was reliable and so he asked me if i thought about playing music for a living i hadn't um we had a few conversations between i don't remember many of them but fast forward six or seven months ahead of you know from that point and um i'm you know i'm in the studio with masaki lu making uh making a first record masaki has done work with folks you know everyone from like five iron frenzy to a guy named mike busby he mm -hmm. did some work with uh with pink the artist he's done some work with um third eye blind he's oh, a wow. phenomenal yeah. producer and uh i'm doing a record with this guy masaki and i'm in nashville tennessee at this showcase where uh you know, record label executives to get up and hype up their artists and talk about how great they're going to be and how this is going to change the face of music. Right. And Frank did not say that. Frank got up in front of everyone, literally. I mean, there's 200 people in the room ish, and their store buyers and their radio execs. And he said, This is Justin McRoberts, and he's not very good right now. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> there's a sales pitch. <laughs> yes. He said, This is Justin McRoberts, and he is, he is not very good right now. And then he, then he said, um, But, what I think is that a lot of the artists you've seen this morning, and this ended up being very, very true. Uh, a lot of the artists you've seen this morning probably won't be making music two or three years from now, mm. because this is really, really hard to do. Yeah. Um, I think Justin will be making music, making art 15 years from now, and I'm making a long-term investment. Wow. So if you want to make it with me, good, great. 
And if you don't, I don't care. Yeah. And then he walked off the stage. Wow. Um, and the reason I wrote that, you know, the, the reason I put the story in the, in, in the book, it is what you make of it is, you know, manifold, like one, it's a funny story. And so <laughs> I like telling funny stories. Yeah. Uh, two, it's an origin story. So folks know, it's not like I, it's not like I was busking in San Francisco for <laughs> seven or eight years and, you know, finally, you know, hit the big time. I had somebody say to me, there's something in you that's not fully developed yet mm. that I want to help develop. And he made an actual financial, emotional, and personal investment in me, which is the reason I'm still here. You yeah. know, that was 1998. And now you've got almost 15 plus albums later, and you're still doing it. That investment proved true. Plus six books, yep. plus uh, two or three podcasts. I've, you know, I've helped launch multiple churches. I've helped, you know, I've built a church of my own. Um, like I've done, a, I've, I've done a lot since that time. So how did this connection with Frank come about in the first place? I mean, you started it with, I was living in his house, but I mean, you weren't homeless uh, off the street and just said, Hey, can I stay at your place? <laughs> damn near. Uh, I, I was, uh, he was, a, ultimately he was kind of a friend of friends. He, in one way, Frank was a bit of a living legend, living in local legend. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's a record label executive living in, you know, the East San Francisco Bay area. Okay. Um, that, you know, we, we didn't have record label executives in the neighborhood, uh, but he was a friend of a friend and uh, through another church connection. Okay. And uh, he knew me, I guess, in, in a sense, he knew me through, I was in this punk rock band, gosh, 90, 95, 96 or so with a, with a, a young person that he was friends with named John. And uh, we just, I mean, we played, which is we were just a punk band, mm -hmm. but when we played gigs with like Sam I Am and okay. a few other folks and played with Primus and we we like we we did pretty well as a punk. We were also a punk rock band, <laughs> and so it wasn't we weren't trying to we weren't trying to do anything gonna do. But we played the Gilman and um and we thought we were cool. We have no we had no musical aspirations. <laughs> uh, we were just kind of like we we're in a punk rock band just doing punk rock things, and so I knew I knew Frank through John, who was the lead singer screamer guy in our okay. punk rock band well the reason i ask is one of the things that i have been spending the last year and a half looking at is what community looks like and oh, okay. frank was community to you in a way that was beneficial was encouraging was yeah. formative and i can't help but think that the things that you're doing now with your coaching and your writing and stuff was probably prompted out of that relationship with frank yeah, a lot was. I mean, so I mean, the ones you know, you'll get the one story in, in in it is what you make of it about Frank, and then there are several other stories that will come out and like over the course of the next many years. Yeah, just in you know, ways that he went about. And actually, there's another story um, in the book. Um, uh, I was on tour with one of his bands, and there, you know, I was making fifty five dollars a night Ooh. on the on on the tour. <laughs> And, uh, we, you know, we were keeping a ledger, uh, you know, so that we kept track. And at some point, like there was sort of a blip, a miscommunication. I was pretty sure that I was skipped, mm. like we had skipped a night and it wasn't like a massive conflict with, with the tour manager, but I was like, yeah, I think we, I, I don't think I got paid for Tuesdays. I go, no, I definitely paid you. I'm like, no, I don't like it's in my ledger. So Frank, you know, like a week later or so is, you know, he comes, he's, he's stopping by the tour. And we're on, you know, we're in a hotel room. I'm and we're having a conversation with Clint about this 
you know, this $55 mm-hmm. blip. And Frank just goes, okay, stop it, stop. And he just, he takes out his wallet and he hands me $55 cash. And he says, let's, let's go. And I thought that this was him taking my side. Mm. That's what I thought he was doing. I thought he was like, listen, Justin's right. Let's just give him the money. And so walking out, I said, hey, thanks for, you know, thanks for coming to my defense and taking my side. He goes, no, no, no I'm not coming for you. He goes, this is just a stupid argument. You should, you should just be thankful you're doing this at all. And I want you to just get back to work. Oh, wow. Um, and so like their, their story, their story after story after story about like Frank's intentionality and simplicity. Like I choose you, I'm on your side. Let's keep it simple. Uh, was Frank's kind of um, his MO when it yeah. came to relationship and work. It's like you get to this is simple you choose to let's keep things simple let's not let complication take over uh keep your focus well and you've kind of parlayed into that uh with uh, and i've I've seen snippets of several of your books like your prayer book and so forth but you yes. also on your instagram account every single day you're posting yes. a simple thought and the one that struck me is uh Actually, the one from today was certainly I'm going to lose, but sure, I'm going to try anyway. Yes. That is faith, too. Yes. Simple. Keeping it to the, the, the thing. And then the other one that I really struck with is you may have heard it said that love is worth fighting for. I've come to believe fighting for is often what makes it love. Yes. So how are you taking these simple things, these simple statements, and incorporating that into your your art that you're doing? Um. Actually, the way it works in my mind is this. Um, I overcomplicate things when I'm trying to control mm. um, w- by making things like that, s- by, by making something simple and making it public. I'm trusting my audience. I'm trusting the people I'm talking to. I, I overexplain or I overcomplicate in relationship and in work. Mm. I make it complex when I don't trust the process I'm in. I make it complex when I don't trust the person I'm working with. But if I can make it simple, I mean, you, I mean, you know this as well as anyone else, like in a relationship, it all, you know, we beat around the bush and we, we, you know, we, we tell the, the seven layer dip of the emotional story instead of saying <laughs> like, this is actually what I want from you or this mm. is what I really need. We don't make it simple. Uh, and I'm learning to trust my relationships, the, you know, the, the better, the deeper and the more um, and the healthier my relationships are. I'm learning to trust my relationships and the process that the people I'm in are actually in themselves. I'm learning to actually trust that mm. God is actually is actually after something in the world around me. Um, so I don't have to make it complicated. I don't have to I don't have to make it weird. I can just make it simple and then trust the steps after that to be taken. Learning to trust that I, I've heard it said trust takes forever to build and takes an instant to break. And yeah. and how do you how do you learn to build trust with people like that? Especially, I'm even thinking like people that you may not have had a lot of relationship with. Uh, you, well, so uh, you don't. That's, that's, that's the first step is like you don't. Like, and mm. know that you don't. <laughs> like, I don't trust everybody. I shouldn't trust everybody. Not with things that are delicate in me. Mm, sure. Um, I don't naturally trust. I think that's a fine, I, I think it's a fine posture to be in. Um the way trust ultimately is is built is you take a risk um and you, you take a, a relationship is risk so you take the risk um and know <laughs> know you're gonna get burned hmm. you're going to and uh and then 
and then trying on the other side of being burned on the other side of being hurt uh, to rebuild. That's really the only way. So relationships. So I, I barely ever believe folks or trust people when they when they talk about their relationships and they're like, yeah, we never fight. I'm like mm, that doesn't sound like health to me. <laughs> um, that doesn't sound that doesn't sound right. Uh, what sounds right to me is like when you've gone to the mat with someone, you've lost some battles, they've lost some battles, and on the other side of that, um, you're you're willing to continue to engage in relationships. So trust is built after trust has been betrayed. Real trust is built mm -hmm. after trust has been betrayed. Do I can I can I give myself over to you? Can I know that if you blow it and you hurt me, you will work to make it right? That's actual trust, mm -hmm. uh, because in human relationships, in work, in yeah. uh, uh, like you're gonna make mistakes and people are going to get hurt. If you're around someone for a few days, they're gonna do or say something that doesn't feel right. So real trust can't be I I'm here and I will never be injured. Real trust has to be when something goes sideways and there is injury here, we will we will put it back together. We re, we will rebuild. That's actual trust. So there's almost a, an adjustment in our own hearts and minds of thinking because I'm I'm thinking there's a lot of this this past year or so we've had a lot of arguments about masks or color or you know pandemic all these different things. Yeah, and how do we set ourselves up to understand i know i'm going to be disappointed but it's worth trusting and it's worth worth working towards building trust again where does that come from well i mean the impetus the desire is there i mean you live with it right i mean that's like that's just part of being human like we the, you don't have a choice <laughs> you don't have a choice in actuality uh, to uh, when it comes to like wanting to be connected with people or live with other people that's just part of being human it's like being hungry for food or thirsty for water. Part of being a human being is the desire for and the need for relationship. Mm -hmm. You don't, you just don't live without it. So that's there. Um, learning to, learning to, especially in this, I, I like your question so far as, especially in the context in which there are all these uh, actual societal conflicts, some social, significant social differences. How do you do that well? One is you keep your circles, keep your circles small. Mm. Um, like that's great. Fine. You got 3000 friends on Facebook. Um, you're not going to trust 3000 people. You'll probably, <laughs> you'll probably trust or try to actually be in a relationship with a few. Um, so keeping, keeping your circle small, the people you're actually, you're actually functionally regularly in a relationship with know who, know who your friends are. Keep, keep that list small and keep the things, <laughs> keep the things you actually care about small as well. The, the list of things you actually care about. So oftentimes mm. when we break trust or we break relationship with people, we're arguing about crap we don't really care about mm. or we don't have an actual investment in. So folks will get in, folks will have all these massive differences about, uh, about race and justice. And these are folks who don't have black friends. Mm. So why are you arguing about things that you don't have any personal investment? In? So keep the list of friends you're actually in relationship with, keep that small and keep the list of things you actually care about also small. Uh, because yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll put it in so far as a podcast about, you know, Christian music in this context. So, you know, Jesus certainly had thousands following him at times, right? Right. Predominantly he had 12 mm. and of that 12, one of whom, one of those people directly betrayed him to, to the powers that be another person, uh, like directly denied that he knew him. And then at some point, all of them freaking abandoned him mm -hmm. when he needed them. Yeah. 
so there was you know there was the masses there was then the 72 like the folks who were kind right. of part of the larger leadership community and then there was the 12 but then even within the 12 there was really the two which were peter and john like christ's list of pieces of people he cared about like intentionally regularly was very very small for someone who had the massive emotional capacity he had so his list of people and then if you look at the issues that jesus addressed um it's a pretty short list of things he actually talked about the list the list of things that jesus has, uh, approached as social issues as societal problems is really really freaking small yeah I hadn't so keep that. your friend list keep your friend list short and keep your urgent you know your urgent social issues list even shorter yeah and so we're not talking about keeping the list of, or a circle so small that we're excluding other people what we're talking about making the core of our relationships where we where we find encouragement and support and growth small and not try to grow from every single interaction that we have on the street correct yeah you'll have a lot of a lot of connections in passing you'll have a few people with whom you actually get to live life very few i like that i like that encouragement well you have you have written i think five or is it six books now um what how is uh, it yeah, six. How was that transition from music to writing? Because when we started setting up this, you said one of the things you want to do is help broaden the doorway that people can walk through to find re their religious and spiritual life. I'm assuming that part of the reason that books, or how did that transition take place? I'm a better storyteller and writer than I am a singer and a musician. Um, that's the bottom line. Like I'm better at this than I was and am at that. Okay. I was, I was a good enough musician to make a career for 16 years or so. Mm -hmm. Uh, but even at that, like what, when I traveled and played, when I was traveling and playing music predominantly, if I was playing, you know, if I had a solo gig and I was playing for 90 minutes, I'm probably storytelling for like 40 or 45. <laughs> okay. Um, and no, and folks, it wasn't like folks were bummed at it. Like I didn't get a whole lot of like, like you know, less talk, more rock conversations. Mm -hmm, yeah. I got, I got, <laughs> I would have folks come in, and be like, "Are you going to tell the grandma story?" I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, I was going to tell the grandma story. Tell the poop story. I will tell the poop story. <laughs> like, folks really connected with the with the stories, okay. and I found within myself, I I was, I felt, and you've been at what you're doing long enough to know, like you you can feel your own ceiling when you get there. Mm -hmm. Like you can feel like I, like I can continue to like work and develop and grow. And at some point, like, you know, I, you figure out like you've only got so many jump shots in your body and, and <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like you yeah. could like, you could feel it in your knees. Like yeah. this is as good as I'm going to get. And like, <laughs> and I tapped out, I tapped out like an 11, what was it in high school? Like I got around like an 11, three, 400 meters, which is really oh, wow. fast for a five, six white kid. But like, <laughs> Like that's as fast as I was going to get. And I knew it. Yeah. Right. And like, so, you know, like when you, when, you know, when you come to your ceiling in something that you're working hard at and care about. And I knew right around 2007, 2008, uh, I dropped a record called deconstruction and I put a truckload of time. It was all I was doing for the most part was writing music. Okay. And it was, it was a good record. Like it, it is, it's a good record as a, as a whole collection. It's probably the best record I've, I've, I've put together. Okay. Uh, there, would they be better songs later on individually? Yeah, there are a couple of better songs. Yeah. I did an EP called "Everything uh, Everything Has Changed," and there's a song on that that's better. But like, I, I put so much time and energy and effort into that deconstruction record, and I knew that it was good. And then I paid attention to some of the stuff that I was listening to, that, like, even friends of mine were doing. I was like, "Oh, that's great!" Mm, yeah, <laughs> I was like, "Okay." <laughs> so I've peaked, and I need I need to sort of expand. So the transition into into actually making books was 
like, like the humble wisdom of knowing that if if what I am as an artist, which is broader than being a musician, right? I want to I want to invest my time and energy into places where the ceiling is higher that I can see myself doing things deeper into my life, you know, at you know in my mid mid to late thirties. Can I see myself doing whatever I'm doing right now? Can I see myself doing that into my fifties and sixties? So at yeah. this at this point, I'll be forty eight, uh, January first. I will not invest time and energy. I simply will not invest time and energy into things I cannot see myself doing in my 60s and 70s. I just won't. Hmm. It's not worth the time. So this transition into books and storytelling had to do with making a wise investment of my time and my life so that I can forge really good connections between people and themselves or people in God. So that's kind of delves into the topic of your current book then, right? Because it is what yes. you make of it. You're talking about, I'm not going to hit my head against the ceiling anymore. I'm going to get out and where I can grow more. Yeah, what do I have on hand and yeah. what do I do with it? So talk a little bit about, I mean, I, we kind of, a little bit in the, in the walk yeah. up to it, but talk a little bit about the book that you've got out right now and and the impetus behind that. And how Yeah, so there is sort of three impetus behind the book. The, the first was um, I had two books in mind. Uh, when I, I signed a contract with Harper Collins mm -hmm. for a first uh, for the first book, I will do the second one second. The one was a book on the relationship between work and rest. And so instead of a book about hustle or a book about Sabbath keeping, mm -hmm. I want to the book is about the relationship between the hustle and the importance Sabbath. of both. Yeah. Yeah. And how, like you, you're both things. So and I was like, I was ready to do that book that was actually more ready when I signed the contract. And then when um i don't know if how much you heard about this virus that's been going around oh, uh, things started getting shut down and i i quite literally watched every every opportunity i knew that i was going to have and every dollar i knew i was going to have uh leave the table mm. within about five to ten days just gone mm. and i had to do the very personal and difficult work of of vocational reinvention like what am i gonna do like most of my work most of my money comes from me being on the road right in rooms telling stories cracking wise some songs like teaching that's that was where, I, where most of my money came from yeah so i can't do that i had to look around my life and decide what what, am I, what will i do with what i have on hand and what i didn't want to do was quit and like well i'll just go get a cafe job <laughs> which <laughs> wouldn't have worked anyways because they closed those down too right. but um and because I knew that I was doing another, I, I was doing a pretty intense reinvention. What I remembered was I've been doing a, I've been doing a fair amount of reinvention, like every five months to to a year, anyways, mm. for the last twenty years. You know, I started out like I said, I was doing, I was doing young life and teaching, and then I was, I was doing some music, and meanwhile, I was also planting a church, and then I was planting a church. I was discipling and learning to do to give sermons, and then I was like storytelling, teaching doing songs and I started doing retreats because I could do both music and teaching. And then I would be with pastors four or five times over the course of years. And then I started having these conversations with pastors about where they're at emotionally, spiritually. So I doing some coaching and then all these conversations led to like these conversations need to be happening more publicly. So I started a podcast. Like I've been doing the work of reinvention mm -hmm. for 20 years and now it's just really, really intensified. And the conversations I heard around me were folks in in the arts and in ministry thinking like what the hell am i going to do yeah if i can't do what i do the way i've known how to do it and i was like well i know some of those answers because mm. i've been doing that for two decades yeah so the book came from like 
you know, me personally looking back over the course of 20 years of doing this work, like what, what has it looked like for me to learn to reinvent over and over again? Uh, and so I, you know, 15 stories about reinvention and reimagination and finding new inspiration and like, you know, learning curves. And that's where the book comes from is taking a look around me when things get weird, finding out what I have on hand yeah. and making something new out of it. Well, isn't reinvention really another word for the word growth? I mean, it, you can become stagnant and just do the same thing over and over and over again, and you're not going anywhere. At some point, yes. It's like, you know, growth early on in life in, uh, you know, as a young person isn't as active a process. You're, you're subject to other people's mm -hmm. uh, will, you know, as a, as a child or even like an, as, as an early person of faith. It's really other people making decisions for you. Yeah. But at some point in the process of your own maturation, yes, it is about you making a decision. You come to that wall. One of you know one of those short um, bits of wisdom you'll see on Instagram that I'll, I'll recycle every four or five months is like, you know, if you feel completely lost and you don't know what your next steps are, it might be that it's time to just decide what your next steps are. Yeah. Um. That that's you know we we get stuck in the like someone tell me what to do thing because yeah. that's how you grew up. But if you're an adult. If you've been raised well by the people around you, and if God has actually shaped you into the person that God wants you to be, then at some point there aren't next steps that you have to take. It's what's in you. What like what do you want to do? Yeah. So talk talk a little bit because you kind of mentioned this about about how God goes into that. How does God play into that reinvention piece? Um, I think, and this is the, this is this is not everything. This is just the point. I certainly never intend to to present like a wholesale, this is how everything works story. I, I don't. The part of this process, the part of that process that I'm particularly interested in right now is that at some point, if you have been through enough, if you have done well enough, if you have been faithful and kind and loving and wise, um, at some point, what that means is in and through all those processes and those moments, you are you have become and are becoming the person that God desires you to be. But the the intention and the goal, if God has anything remotely like intentions and goals, mm -hmm. it would be that you become someone. It's not that you achieve things. It's not that you accomplish things. It's not the it's not the church that you planted. It's who you became while you were planting the church. Yeah. It's not the business you started. It's who you became as a business leader. It's not the music you made. It's who you have been in and through your music. The, if God has a goal and intention in any and all of our vocational spaces, yeah. it's that we become people that look like God and can love like God and can care like God and can make like God. So at some point, um, <laughs> at some point, the question no longer is like, you know, what am I supposed to do? I think at some point, and this is like the thing, this is the button, this is the one string of the guitar that I'm playing right now. Okay. It's not everything, this is just my one string. Sure. At some point, I think God says, what do you want to do? I'm not going to tell you. I'm not gonna decide for you. I'm not gonna say there's this one path and you have to go find it. I'm going to say you are who I've made you to be. So what do you want to make in the world? This is what it looks like now. Um, I think that's what God's in. I think that's what God's um, involvement looks like for a whole lot of folks right now who are, uh, this is the prophetic moment of the podcast, for, <laughs> who are waiting for a schematic to be dropped out of heaven. So what does church look like 15 years from now? Mm -hmm. Don't wait for someone to tell you. Mm -hmm. What do you want it to look like? For someone to look at, what's it look like to make a living in the arts? How do you, how do you want to shape that? Like how do you, how do you want that to go? 
if you're the person that God has made you over the course of all these years, then maybe it's time for you to make some adult decisions so that God can just come alongside and celebrate who he's made you. I think that's God's involvement more, most of the time once we become adults. I, my favorite story, I'm agreeing wholeheartedly with you. I had a college roommate. He got married. They lived above my wife and I at the time. And every single decision he made, he prayed, Lord, am I supposed to brush my teeth today? Lord, am I supposed to go left or right today? And, it, wow. and in my mind, I was thinking, well, God gave you a brain to figure some of that out yourself. Yeah, bro. And he's helping you learn and helping you grow and giving you experiences so that when the decisions come, now that doesn't mean you don't ask for guidance, but that he's giving you some of this experience to help you make the right decisions and say, I, I know which way I'm supposed to go because I've been patterning my life after you. Yeah, allow, allow God to take joy in who you are <laughs> instead of treat you like a freaking infant for the entirety of your life. Say that again. Allow God to take joy in who you are instead of treat you like you're a dependent infant for the entirety of your life. Every Saturday, I send out a newsletter to folks who have agreed to pray for artists and the people who are making music and art. Uh, how can we specifically be praying for you in the weeks and months ahead? I've got two kids. I have an 11 year old boy and a four year old girl. And, you know, for kids, my four year old's a little bit of a different story, but for, for kids my son's age, um, the life got really, really weird um, with the shutdown specifically with school and with, acad with yeah. academics. So for my son specifically, and for kids a lot like him, um, I don't know if we quite get yet the, like, the depth of trauma and oddity that we've wrought upon the kids between the ages of like seven and 14. Um, but he's having a hard time in school mm -hmm. uh, and not just because you know he's my kid and I had had, had a hard time in, in, with academics, but because it's a lot to adjust to. Uh, like wearing a mask and staying distanced yeah. and all those kinds of things. That's a lot to put on a kid. Um, so you can pray for him and for kids just like him. I appreciate that. I'd like to thank Justin McRoberts for his reminders that I need to trust God to make me into the person he intends me to be. If we really believe what is written in the Bible, then we need to understand that God is working in us to make us into his image. He's going to put us into situations that will cause us to become better people. And when we deal with those tough situations or relationships, we can be certain that as followers of Jesus, he is using those times to mold us and those around us into the folks he intends us to be. One of the scriptures I've come to rely on comes from Psalm 37. It says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desire. Commit everything you do to the Lord, trust him, and he will help you. The way I understand these verses is not that anything I desire, God is going to give me. Instead, I read that when we are trusting God and committing everything we have to him, he places inside of us desires he wants us to pursue. So when it comes time to make a decision, we can follow our heart because God is shaping our heart. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be constantly seeking after God's will, but I like how Justin stated it. He said, if you have been faithful to the things God has led you through, you are becoming the person that God desires you to be. God's desire is for you to become people that look like God. And as we follow and learn, God will hopefully be saying, you are who I made you to be. What do you want to do? 
And I really like the way Justin ended that thought. He said, allow God to take joy in who you are. This is kind of God saying, I created you as a beautiful masterpiece. Now let me enjoy what I've created. As always, thanks for joining me for this conversation today. I am grateful that we get to spend this time together each week hearing stories of God's amazing faithfulness. As a regular listener to this podcast, would you mind taking a few minutes and rating it on your favorite podcast app? Reviews and ratings really help spread the word so that other folks can hear about these great conversations. And if you have comments or questions for me, please feel free to drop me a message on any of the social media platforms. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon by searching for at CCMExchange. Or you can always drop me an email on the website christianmusicarchive.com. I'm really looking forward to our time together next week when I have another great conversation with one of the musicians you'll find on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. So until then, remember this, God loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you. <laughs> <laughs>